I'm going to read this bio about you and we're going to get into it. I just got my eyelashes done and my eyes keep sticking together. So if you see me like glitch out, I'm just trying to pull them apart. Okay, no, they, fine. They do look they fabulous. Aren't they great? Okay. Ready? Ready. It's going to be fun. Okay. Hello and welcome to the Carson Daily Show. I am your host, Carson Daly. Today we are here with Charlie Cohen. Charlie is a British fashion designer who founded her first fashion brand at the age of 15. Eight years later, she launched the eponymous label. Yes, I learned a new word today. Charlie Cohen, a technical fashion brand that blends high fashion, high performance fabrics with high fashion design. She's partnered with Reebok, Pokemon and more. While the CC label is recognized around the world and in the world, she's recently launched Restless, the next-gen digital fashion label that transcends the world and provides a seamless experience for brands to enter the metaverse while maintaining and controlling their intellectual property rights. Charlie has a Pomeranian and an appreciation for memes only a memeologist like myself could recognize as being superior. She has the best recommendations for any and everything you would ever want to know about London, and she's here today on my show. Charlie, welcome to the Carson Daly Show. A pleasure and great use of eponymous. Thank you so much. Um, I was writing your bio and my beloved and critical fiance, who you know very well, said, don't forget to say, and she's one of my favorite people, because apparently that's what I say about every person who comes on the show, so much so that he thinks I should rename this podcast My Favorite People. So I felt self-conscious about it, and unfortunately, the buck stops with you. So it goes without saying that you're one of my favorite people, and I'm going to just stop using that so loosey-goosey, because... It's just, yeah, I really wanted to say it about you, but now I can't in so many words. <laughs> I mean, maybe within the like duration of this podcast, you can come up with something that's more special and just for me. Yeah, I probably should. You deserve it. You actually do deserve it if people only knew. Okay, so I want to get into it. I have famously called Charlie Cohen, the label, the Lara Croft core of your dreams, I have since, like, as I've been thinking about it, I've decided to evolve that um, description to be like, if there comes a time where we are living through apocalyptic level conditions in which AI has taken over and is completely overthrowing the human race, and you want to dress in a certain way so as to tell the AI robots and machines that you are one sexy hot bitch you will wear charlie cohen that is um, but assuming that you haven't just heard that for the first time or you've never heard it in your life how tell us about the brand about the label in your own words but so people really get like they can really visualize it in their mind try to top the way that i just put it it's gonna be hard but i want to know how you describe it to people <laughs> i mean first of all i definitely need that in writing um but i guess like to describe the label um i got very obsessed with technical performance fabrics when i was at uni and couldn't understand why um there wasn't like a crossover between 
stuff you could wear every day um, and stuff that kind of felt like cool, higher end, ready to wear. Um, and that was what I wanted to wear all day. I actually wanted to get from, and this is actually, you know, now it's very cringe because it's been used relentlessly over the last five years. But I was the only person in on my fashion degree who went to the gym, obviously. Um, and I wanted to be able to like go to the studio and then just be able to go to the gym on the way back to my dorm. I wanted to wear something that would take me through the duration, but not be like hanging out in leggings in a fashion studio. Um, so I started making stuff that would help to <laughs> help to fill that gap. Um, and I so now, unfortunately, it's kind of like the brunch to bar kind of vibe. But at that time, it wasn't really being done. Um, and I have always been very much into like Japanese street style, um, former and current goth kids. Um, so these are all the influences that came into what I wanted to create with these like crazy technical fabrics. Um, so I think um, the apocalypse framing is pretty good. Um, in fact, the year before COVID, we did a collection that was just made out of upcycled hazmat suits, um, which I think was some incredible foresight. Um, and we make a load of stuff out of like repurposed um, tactical, tactical wear, um, military fabrics and so on. Um, and, you know, really just want people to get dressed and, feel like they can take on the world that day like suit up like literally take on the world suit up like that is a hundred percent what I like wore my most like technical fashion coolness that I could find because uh, Charlie Cohen has yet to send me a PR box I'm still waiting for it but can't wait <laughs> just saying throwing it out there use my code um but you brought something up like yes it is right now like the more technical fashion what did you call it brunch to bar bar what did you call it yeah brunch to bar um like the whole kind of athleisure movement basically ruined my life and my niche um, <laughs> like you but, took yeah. over you oh you took something from me and now i want it back I know, you took made it disgusting and you made me hate it with like Jim shark and lululemon and the like but there is something to be said yeah exactly no like i am somebody who like like i am a streetwear god i think like i'm also a leisure athleisure god and i love being comfortable like not to say that there aren't there isn't denim or whatever that can be comfortable but like there has been this movement of like wearing more comfort clothes in public but it's like i think charlie cohen the the label is much more like it is about like suiting up and taking on the day like it's it's texture it's things that you can touch feel hold it's not just like skin tight to your ass like shrinky like TikTok legging trends like there's so much more to it and it really is fashion like and I think <laughs> you're laughing thank you it means I'm I'm hitting I'm hitting the right key here but like so much of what I love about your brand and and in particular it's like digital presence is the styling of it like the people who wear it stylize it in a specific way like where what is what influence do you have on that like when you create a piece or when you envision a piece do you see the whole outfit do you see one piece like where does that start to come in where does that flow happen where you're really like creating a look yeah i definitely think in terms of outfits like the proportions of a whole look uh i think what like differentiates 
whether it's fashion or style. Um, so I definitely um, like mentally merchandising and styling when I put together a collection. Like you need to have something that's oversized and then you need to have something to offset the fact it's oversized and and so on and so forth. Um, and then also on my team and the face of our TikTok, um, my like studio manager and kind of right hand and everything else, Aisha um, is a like badass stylist and she's really taken the the mantle from me on how a lot of that stuff's portrayed now. And she does the styling when we have um, like people coming in and like calling in samples for shows and stuff. We dress a lot of musicians, so we do a lot of styling for stage um, where, you know, obviously a lot of the time you're like in the dark and silhouetted and have to have a certain vibe that you're curating. <laughs> Well, it makes me think a lot of like, because obviously we're going to talk about all, we're going to get into digital fashion and all of that. But like, I do think a lot about like creating looks. When I think of this, the CC label, I think a lot about creating looks like in video games. And like, it does remind me a lot of like what you would see like a female character kind of wearing in like a arc archetypical art what is the word the, uh, the archetype of a female character in like a badass video game and i wanted to know like what are kind of the gaming influences where do they start to come in with the brands like what were there any games that you played like growing up or anything in particular that really like inspires the look and the vibe there that you take inspiration from I mean, the game that I played most growing up um, is less to do with my style and more about my approach to life, which is Tetris. Um, <laughs> didn't really influence the clothes that much, um, but um, like video game aesthetic is something that has played in a lot, especially the sort of post-apocalyptic post vibe. Um, <clears throat> I'd say like what gets referenced most and probably why we ended up falling into a collab with them in 2020 is Assassin's Creed um, with just like the kind of like hood shape and that kind of like dark warrior ninja kind of vibe. Um, and I guess like a lot of the JRPGs as well, because so much is influenced by the time that I was spending in Tokyo every year pre-pandemic. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes from that into those types of games um, into anime as well, um, where you have like the um, like the trouser shape that's kind of like sort of like sharply goes out around like mid leg and then tapers back in, um, like that kind of like very iconic silhouette that you would associate with maybe like more cyberpunk type video games. I love that so much. Okay, now to back up a little bit because I mentioned this in your intro. And I have a personal story about this, that you launched your first company at 15. <laughs> and I had actually thought when I first like came across you back in like 2021 or 2020, like I thought you were 15. Like I was like, wow, like this 15 year old is out here getting it. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's a mix between um, just the way that I read things online, I think, and assume them to be true without getting much more information and context clues. It's also because you have an amazing skincare regime that we've discussed at length together that you actually fucking have. My photo in that tweet thread where you learned that this information was like, that girl is definitely 15. Like, honestly. <laughs> it is. It is. That's true. Um, so love that. We've clarified you're not 15. You haven't been 15 for 
at least 15 years. Is that safe? Sometimes. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's safe. But I wanted to ask, like, tell me about what is this this company that you launched at 15? How the fuck were you like I had a job at 15 too. It was my first job. I got it the day that I turned 15 because two weeks before when I was still 14, I was going in every day and saying, I'm going to work here. So the day of my 15th birthday, I started working there. My first job was washing dishes at a deli that was located inside of a gas station. So I was not I was a working woman, but I did not have the entrepreneurial spirit that you have at 15 years old. Can you even get a bank account, like a business bank account without your like a parent's signature? <laughs> like how, how did you get there? How did you come to launch a business before you're the legal age to drive by yourself in a car and have a bank account? What was that business? Tell me everything. Actually, like, I don't know. I think I was able to get a business bank account. I probably just needed it like guaranteed by a parent or something. I can't even remember the logistics <laughs> of, of that. And now you mentioned it, I've got no fucking idea how I managed to swing that. Um, but I guess like the very short backstory is that I spent like the years uh, age 13 and 14 on a boat for two years, sailing halfway around the world. Then along the, like some long stretches at sea, I didn't have much to do other than draw, write, and kind of plan my life. Um, so during that period, I decided like, okay, I definitely want to be a fashion designer. I want to have a brand. I want to figure out how this all works. I guess I had a, a sense even at that age that designing would be a very small part of having a fashion brand and just wanted to kind of, um, I, I am an experiential learner. So I wanted to figure it out by doing Um got to New Zealand. Um, we were out in the sticks. It was incredibly fucking boring. School was extremely easy, even though I'd like skipped two years and just gone into whatever grade I was supposed to be in. It was still just um, quite backwards, the curriculum. Um, and I had a lot of time and um, teenage angst on my hands that needed to be funneled into something. Um, so it just it just kind of made sense. And I started out by customizing t-shirts and selling them to local stores um and then gradually building up a collection through that and like learning okay how do i file a tax return um how do i set up a supply chain like all of these things that you just you don't even learn when you're like doing a fashion degree at university you only learn by like doing it and having to figure it out um so it was like amazing formative experience um set me up really well um, to, I guess, go through the fashion degree, which was largely pointless other than having the piece of paper at the end. Um, and like the real experience is what benefited me launching the Charlie Cohen brand. Okay. Thank you for that insight. I was going to ask about the boat. So I'm glad that you brought it up. But like, I'm still stuck on like, okay, and as people listen, they should know like, you are tr actually I say this about everybody, but you really are one of my best friends. Like, out of all the people that I say, this person is my best friend. I actually speak to you the most. So therefore, like, I think that there is some there are some points and there's some recognition that needs to be made here. But like, I have to say, you're still such a mystery because like I'm still thinking like, okay, when I was 13 and 14, I too was planning my life. But what I, how I was planning my life was I was planning on how do I put myself in a position 
so that Edward Cullen and I fall in love and I become a vampire. This was my strategic planning. Was like, love that. Brilliant. It like it didn't work out between us. It's fine. I'm on to bigger and better things now. Much happier than I would have been probably living in eternal immortality. But with Edward Cullen, a fictional character from a book. But I still feel like what like my motivation to work when I was 15 was like I wanted money to get my nails done, to go to the movies with my friends, to shop at fucking Hollister or Aeropostale or Abercrombie and Fitch, whatever. Like I just needed to work and make money. Like for me, thinking about you and why I think it's why I still say it's such a mystery is because like you wanted to launch a business. Like it wasn't enough to work. Like you must have known to some degree that launching a business does not equal making money. Like, especially not in the first couple of years, maybe you thought it would or whatever, but like what was happening? Like where from your childhood, from a young age, like did this like entrepreneurialism, this independence, this like very, very serious independence, where does that come from? Like, what's the story there? How, why weren't you planning your life with Edward Cullen or similar and like planning a business instead? Like, just explain that to me, please. <laughs> In my very young years, um, like my parents and pretty much all my family are like business owners of some type. And I didn't even understand um, until I don't even know what age um, that that wasn't what everybody did like that you would ever work for somebody else was like a really foreign concept to me um so I guess that was my like sort of how it was like formatively seeded in my head like okay I'm gonna have my own company I'm gonna be my own boss like I just need to figure out what I want to do with it um initially I wanted that sorry there's like the weirdest noise coming from this Airbnb which is, is that a actually I don't know what it is, but it's very haunted. Um, it's like there there are theories that it might be a kill hotel, um, and nice. there are lots of weird groaning noises for that theory. Um, so that might happen. <laughs> as long as um, it's on camera, as long as it's on camera, anything can happen. So long as it's on camera. Yeah. So like knew I was going to be my own boss. Um, initially, I think up until about the age of seven, I was going to be a vet. And then I realized that I would have to put animals down and that ended that dream. So after that, I was like, okay, I'm going to be a fashion designer. Um, and that was, it just kind of stuck. Um, and I don't even like, I, I guess from like a really young age, like I wanted to have my empire, um, like not just a, a business, like an actual empire um and that's i wanted to do it um through doing something that i enjoyed that was a passion of mine um so that that made sense i mean i remember um i don't know what age but again like definitely prior to the the first business of 15 like i designed a, i designed all the branding for my own airline that i was going to have after the oh first my quarter of my empire i love that <laughs> not very environmentally friendly but you know, it's fine. I, was, I, I just young. pictured like Barbie Jet, like goth Barbie Jet, like, and I was just on it, like, that. like black jet. We've got some pink and black inside, like, cool. Again, very technical. 
not just like water on board, but like liquid death, like everything branded, everything that you need is so sick. Like a CBD gummies instead of like the gummy bears or peanut snacks. Like I would definitely, I'd be a frequent flyer. Okay. But do you think ever like this kind of like driving force of being like, I want to have my empire like in at such a young age, which I love, by the way, I'm part of it. Like if there was a cult to be started or whatever, or something to follow you by, I would be in there and I'd truly be my best self, pay whatever dues I need to. I know that for a fact, but like, do you ever think that this, cause I think about my experience, like, yes, I always kind of knew what I wanted to do and be like, or I could always at least see myself in the position that I'm in right now. Like I always knew I was going to get there one way or another. And I think I had this like trust in myself. Maybe it's trust. Maybe it was a bit of like ambivalence or whatever to the point where I was like, yeah, I fucking half-assed it in college and I raged and I did this and I still knew I was going to like be successful. I never really worried. Like did you ever feel like you missed out on anything by having like kind of this razor sharp, like focus on where you were headed because you launched the Charlie Cohen label, like so soon after even you graduated college, like you were prepped and ready for it. Really? Like, did, do you ever feel like you missed out on anything or like where you were so focused that like you couldn't kind of let yourself be, like enveloped by the happenings and the things that happen to a 15 through 19 or 15 through 21 year old. Yeah. I mean, I totally missed out on like everything that would constitute like a normal teenage, like normal set of teenage years. Um, And I don't regret it. um, But as I took on a lot of responsibility very early um, I think I'd already done that before I started the like the businesses anyway. Like so, even as a child, like I was a weirdly responsible child. Um, so, like I think even now it leaves me with like what actually is fun for me because mm-hmm. I never really got to figure that out um, in the years that you're supposed to. Is there anything like if you could? Like anything that's like quintessential teen years that you're like, I didn't get to do that, but I wish I could like, you know, sneaking out or like going to like doing a spring break in like Tenerife for fucking Orlando, Florida, wherever the fuck people go. Like, is there anything like quintessential nostalgic teen, either American or British culture inspired that like you didn't get to do where you're like, I really, really wished that I could have done that. (laughs) Honestly, there is nothing that I don't feel that I could just do with friends now. Like there's nothing that I felt like, okay, I just missed the boat on that. Um, And like now I think the only, the only thing that is is impactful for missing at that time is figuring out like my identity outside of my identity as somebody who's working and building something. Um, and it's so like inherently tied to who I am and how I think about myself. Um, it's, it's very, very difficult to detach from it, to prioritize anything that is not just this like career drive. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine. And like, even as your friend, I know that. And I think of that too, like, it's funny because like we DM, we send stuff back and forth to each other, whether it's like TikToks or Instagrams or 
Twitter things like all the time to the point where I sometimes forget, like I get kind of taken back when like I've sent you something on, like I've sent my friend Charlie something on Instagram that we're like chatting about and it's like, ha ha ha. And then the same account, like the same Charlie is then all of a sudden on my feed like Charlie Cohen, the fashion brand. It's like if you were, you know, if you were trying to like DM, if you're best friends with Haran Preston and you're like DMing Haran Preston on like the Haran Preston like fashion account, it's like literally that's exactly the same thing. Like it gets, sometimes it like trips me up. I'm like, oh my God, like I forget that like there's, this is a real person to me, but I think to other people who wouldn't be me who don't have the relationship with you, like this is a brand to them, like that they follow this brand. I follow this person. Like what, I mean, especially I think this leads into like a web three conversation where so much of it is like only just as of late are people like doxing, like revealing their identity as a, as a founder, like your name, your, your literal government issued name is like, your brand. I mean, where does that, like, how do you kind of manage that? How do you like, remember like, oh, this is my account, but this is my company's account, or this is my name, but this is also the name of my company. Like, how do you kind of toe that line? Well, I think with the Charlie Cohen brand, especially is absolutely an extension of me, like the the designs, the storytelling, everything. Um, so there's like that has never felt weird. Um, but I think that it was, I mean, there are many incentives for starting Restless, but that was one personal one to have something that wasn't my name that could be built as something outside just who I am. Um, but yeah, with like with the CC brand, um, it still feels pretty natural. No regrets. I love that so much. Um, oh fuck, I just had a funny question and I forgot it. It'll be back. Okay. <laughs> I was um, looking through, again, your pinned tweet, which is about everything that you need to know, basically, about you. It gives like the history of everything about your businesses. Um, yeah, let me rephrase that. Not everything about you, because we're talking about differentiating here. Everything you need to know about what Charlie has built. And I came across Shades of Blue, which is something that I think I remember finding when I first kind of discovered you in the Web3, you know, NFT crypto Twitter space. And I remember being like, oh, this is really interesting. I want to look into it and didn't. Sorry, still going to. But I also thought we could use this podcast as like a TLDR. Um, so <laughs> what? Not have to. We can just use this podcast for you to get. Everything yeah, no, exactly. This is my on. this is my self-fulfilling prophecy here. So Shades of Blue on the site it says it's an uncensored community where we can share personal stories and experiences of mental illness from the perspective of both sufferers and loved ones. Tell me, how did Shades of Blue come to be? Like, what was building that out like? What is that experience? You know, is that something that you are maintaining, something you want to come back to? Just tell me about, tell me more about it. So it came about... Um just because I have always, I guess, since I've been like internet wise in the public eye, always been super open about my own struggles with mental health, like depression, anorexia, so on and so forth. Um, and it was, it's always been something that's been tied into the collections that we've 
produced with CC as well, like a lot of inspiration for collections. Um, we've worked with mental health charities. We've done a lot of kind of immersive storytelling through VR and AR around um, around mental health. So I like off the back of it being kind of attached, but not officially attached to the brand. Um, I wanted to find some way of formalizing it a bit more, like under the umbrella of CC. Um, so started Shades of Blue um, and really wanted to focus in on like systematic issues within the creative industries because you have, you know, a, a lot of people who end up in any of the like arts world, music, fashion, whatever, um, they're there because they express themselves and like channel what they're dealing with with their own mental health through their art and through their work. Um, and they're also the most gross, exploitative, horrific industries to participate in if you have mental health issues. Um, they, you know, within fashion, art, music, um, it's also like glorified. Um, it becomes part of an artist brand, right, that they're struggling. Um, so wanted to just start speaking to people across industries um, about their own personal stories, like what's good that's happening in their industry, what's bad. Um, at the time of starting it, and this is something that I would like to come back to at, at some time, um, I wanted to see if we could set up some kind of um, like education or set of guidelines that could be adopted by creative businesses to better support their employees. Um, but we just started out with this podcast, um, which has been on pause since we started building Restless. Um, but yeah, certainly something I want to come back to, something that's super important to me. Um, haven't stopped talking about mental health. Um, but yeah, Shades of Blue specifically has been on pause for a couple of years. Well, it sounds really interesting. There's a couple that stood out to me that I want to talk about. But just like while while you were just talking, I just thought of like, it is so, I mean, people, it's so understated. Like the idea that these industries that are so glorified and like that are so aspirational are like the most vicious and they take the most from you. And like, I, I'm have you like been keeping up with this, like the retiring of Law Roach, like how he's announced his his retirement? So yeah. For me, like I've not even I know he's done interviews and there's been articles and like I've yet to even like be able to bring myself to read them. Like I've only gotten snippets because it is so triggering and it's so sad, like that people get pushed to the point where like you lose a treasure, like you're going to lose a bit of especially people in positions of like designers and stylists and artists like where you consume their culture like really you consume the the impacts that they are having on culture so like casually and you don't to the point where like you don't realize it so you don't recognize it so you don't appreciate it and then you you put yourself in a position we put ourselves in a position as a society to lose that like to lose that imprint to lose that impact to lose that person and i just find it to be like really sad and upsetting and i guess like because i'm not in the fashion industry you know we don't we don't talk enough about that like i feel like people in particular like society and the media kind of is out to get fashion in a way like fashion is something where it can just be like beaten down to the bone of like 
not being size inclusive or not being environmentally conscious or, you know, Balenciaga is problematic, like advertising, like so much shit. And it's like fashion is the one piece of culture that like literally if we didn't have it, we would all just be naked. <laughs> like, what would we wear? Like, I mean, as sad as it sounds, like we could survive without music. We could, I mean, we can survive without clothes too, but it would be absolutely fucking an anarchy and chaos and just fucking nudity all around. Like, why, just from your experience, I'm trying to get myself into a question here, but like, why is fashion, like, why does the fashion industry have such a fucking target on its back? Like, why is it a catch-all for, like, any and all criticisms from mental health, from, you know, inclusivity, diversity, problems in advertising? Like, why is that? And how can, like, brands or people that are interested in building fashion brands or interested in building careers around fashion, like, how can they protect themselves, protect their energies, protect their brands from that vitriol? Again, good word. I think like probably the, the biggest thing is that fashion, you know, even when it's a brand that's somebody's name, it doesn't really have a face in the same way that an artist or a musician has. Um, so it feels like extremely impersonal to direct vitriol at a brand because who's who's getting hurt at the end of the day? Um, I mean, obviously, people are, but the like the, the perspective is is very different. Um, and then. I think as like as you said as well there are so many uh, like such an amazing variety of ways to get cancelled in fashion as well um because you are handling like physical products body image marketing um there's like there are so many different elements that you can fuck up in the eyes of society um but I think the biggest one is just the complete like depersonalization of a brand versus a an individual human is this something that you thought about or that you anticipated like when you built the CC label? Um, I guess like, no, I don't think I really directly thought about it. Um, I started CC at a time like 2012, um, where a lot of these things were very top of mind for me anyway. So it was quite easy for me to, um, naturally address issues that might lead to cancellation for other brands because of just the like generation that I'm part of and media I've been exposed to have grown up. So like, you know, I was anorexic. So obviously I'm thinking about like body image, what message am I putting out there to like, well, young, especially young women, but like everyone. Um, I was obviously thinking about sustainability because I, you know, again, been, brought up like with a pretty reasonable understanding of what we're doing to the environment. So it would be crazy for me to start a brand without thinking about how am I going to manage um, sustainability? How am I going to make sure that I'm like leaving the world better off for doing this? Otherwise, what's the point? Um, versus heritage brands who have built up a business that can't, you can't just like, change something overnight like there's so much structure that needs to be kind of progressively taken down and rebuilt and there's no fast way to do it um so I really you know I don't envy the uh you know the brands that started in the 70s 80s 90s um that just had way less concept of all of these things at the time that they were starting having to go back and you know figure out everything that they've uh 
they've built in that just doesn't work in this day and age. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like the world, even if it was like back in the 70s and 80s, like if there was still like nuance and all of that, like people didn't care. Like they didn't. It was so taboo to like talk about anything like people were just kind of going about their business. And like, it's just very it's strange to me. And then you get you create an infrastructure that is so like concrete that like you can't disrupt it at all. And like in a lot of ways, like the fashion industry represents that very notion. Like it's really, yeah, it's, it's, it's puzzling for sure. Um, okay. I want to ask about, um, something that I saw again, back to shades of blue, this idea of a fake authenticity movement. Again, I want the TLDR on it, but I want to know because it, it, it struck me as something that could have, you know, some, it could maybe change or be relevant or whatever now, especially like in web three, which I think like when I think of fake authenticity, like my mind immediately went to like some, some characters and some people, some ideas that exist in like web three. So what is this fake authenticity movement? What was it, you know, at the time that you were, discussing it and kind of sharing about it on shades of blue and like is there any kind of progress of that or any new evolutions of that that now exists in web3 i think like when i was or when i was inspired to write about it it was at a time when all of these um fitness influencers started posting their like bloated day photos and it's like oh my god here's a photo of me without my honed six pack like and here I am like so so proud so brave so brave brave. um (laughs) and also it was like very much a kind of thoughts and prayers kind of time as well anytime something was happening in the world it was just this like very performative care about the issues that wasn't really care it was just like okay there's some expectation for me to post something about this so here we are um and I I think it's you know it's just it just gets worse right because the expectation to care in a very prescriptive way um has become like you know it's at a crazy saturation point right now um, like anything that's happening in the world, in society, in politics, you're kind of paralyzed between like, okay, my community is going to hate on me if I don't post anything. They're going to hate on whatever I do fucking post. Like, what do I do here? And you end up with something that is just like curated way beyond the point of having any actual meaning. Yeah, definitely. I think like in the spirit of like authenticity and like kind of feeling like, you know, how it, like you talking about it makes me like reflective on like how myself do I participate in that or how like where do I see myself in that? And I think like when we talk about mental health and we talk about the things that matter to us, like again, this also like I'm going to try to get to a question in here, but I'm mostly just reflecting on like, you know, when it comes to mental health, like depression, anxiety, ADHD, like disorders disabilities even like trigger warning like assault you know surviving assault whatever that looks like one thing that like i don't talk about which and i think we maybe don't talk about as much like and i'm like i have heard you talk about now brought it up twice is like is body image and like anorexia and eating disorders bulimia like 
it's something that we don't talk about. And even like as somebody who's your friend and like now in this seat as like the host of this podcast, I'm like struggling to figure out like, how do we talk about this together? Like, how do I ask about this? Because it feels so it feels extra personal and like extra can't talk about. Whereas like if, uh, if somebody if you were talking about you know, sexual violence, or if you were talking about even like if somebody was involved in a violent act, like it's almost easier to bring up those things. Like, because I don't know why, like, I'm just struggling to figure out like why. So, I, I mean, with like mental health, especially we've got so used to talking about, um, like a certain set of things like depression, anxiety are the key ones, right? We're talking about depression. We can't, we still can't talk about like antidepressants or anything else, but we can talk about service level depression. That's fine. Definitely can't talk about like schizophrenia or bipolar, but we can talk about like anxiety and same thing. Like we can talk about sexual assault in a certain, like within a certain set of parameters. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's something that has become normalized enough. Um, But we still, I think on all of those things, we still can't go that deep into them mm-hmm. um, either. And like you say, like eating disorders and like all sorts of other mental health conditions, trauma and so on. It's just like, we're just not, for whatever reason, it's not like sanitized enough to be yeah. part of like everyday conversation. What do, like, what does it take, thinking about like authenticity, this like fake authenticity or real realized authenticity or like, being ourselves, having these identities, like you put your name on a label on your company that represents everything. You own that name. Similar, like I own my name. Like my dad always used to say, no matter what happens, like nobody can take away your birthday. Like there's so many things that we own. Like how do we own kind of our inability to talk about these things or ask about these things in a way that feels authentic and doesn't feel like you're like kind of baiting somebody into something or pressuring somebody into something. Cause I think it also has to do with like wokeness and sensitivity and like wanting to, you know, treat people respectfully. Like when do we start, what do we, what does it take to start having like real conversations like in public spaces about these things so that we can have like effective growth and change like on a systemic level? I think it's like, so if we like define um authenticity by are you being vulnerable by saying this are you avoiding vulnerability by saying this um i think that kind of is the the differentiator and then if you're asking questions or interviewing someone um and you want them to really be vulnerable with you then you have to offer that of yourself first you have to like set the set the tone Um, it's like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna give you this and then it's probably more likely that you will also give me this but it needs to be reciprocal because we are you know we learn from you know especially in like tech era we learn from a pretty young age that vulnerability is very dangerous yeah definitely and I think like even in our generation of people like we are taught from our parents like being vulnerable on the internet like that vulnerability can mean like just posting a picture of yourself like I was not supposed to have a fa- as a, have a fucking MySpace at a young age. Like I was not supposed to be on chat rooms and stuff because that was like opening yourself up to vulnerability. But now like it's almost like because our parents so like they were so adamant on us avoiding that type of shit that like we all kind of collectively like as millennials were like we're going to 
act, we're going to actually re- revolt against that and be so open and, and put ourselves out there so much to the point where we actually are creating fake identities like of ourselves, a fake representation of ourselves. That's like overly vulnerable. Like look at me on my bloat day or whatever. And it's like, okay, maybe you're showing a bloat, but like you face tuned everything else. Like you've still face tuned everything. Like you still have a filter on, like it's just, there's not a lot of realness. And like, I think we're starting to get into like eventually right now, we're getting to the point three quarters of the way through to talk about like, restless and like building out a metaverse and building out like digital spaces where like we have realness and like we can actually show up and be ourselves in a way that maybe we're not the physical representation of ourselves the way that we've learned on Instagram and TikTok and whatever else but like we get to be this character of ourselves in almost a more real way like any truth to that that I'm saying take it away (laughs) Yeah, well, I think like the kind of perfect representation of that, and I've definitely tweeted about this as well, is um, it's like Gen Alpha, especially like, you know, the 8 to 12 year olds, they have, you know, they're so adept at exploring parts of themselves via alter egos that don't in any way um, like need to be a physical representation of themselves. But they can really like safely explore their identity. Like, you know, one of the very cool things that um like people of our generation have discovered in web3 is like oh i can like i can be anonymous and suddenly have the freedom of like exploring myself via a pseudonym like why didn't i fucking think of that before (laughs) um and that's just normal that like for this generation of of kids um and you know i think they will probably be much better rounded individuals because of it because they've been able to um discover all of these parts of their identity in a way that feels completely safe um it's i think it's this balance right of um you know you can be vulnerable in terms of how you are exploring yourself or your like spiritual identity um but it's actually not setting you up to be vulnerable to maybe like malicious outsiders um so the way that we like think about building out like digital identity um metaverse for lack of a less cringe buzzword (laughs) um is that like how do we get to um really discover ourselves or give others tools to discover themselves um in a way that feels like safe and comfortable enough that you're not having to like curate or sanitize for for anyone like you mentioned myspace um like i miss myspace so much because i, I was just like unapologetically myself same face um and then you know the era of instagram where suddenly rather than doing stuff for yourself you're doing stuff for an audience just like really fucked us all up i think and it's you know it's, it's going to take a lot of undoing but for me and for what we're doing with restless like that's something that i'm really like passionate about focusing on like okay how do we how do we get back to actually exploring ourselves for ourselves rather than for like likes 100 percent. like there was something like about myspace that was so like it if you think about it it was actually like your profile on myspace was more curated than what your profile on instagram now is however 
it was a it was multi layers of curation and it was like told you it told whoever visited your profile more about you like you know everything from like your your template like your layout the what did they call it? like the skin the yeah. backgrounds like the you could change your display name like your bio all these things your interest the song that played when people came on your profile like who your top friends were like it told a more robust story and like in that sense yes it was more curated but it was not such a superficial curation like it had it really yeah. involved layers of the hum of your personal identity and your interests, which I love. Yeah, it was very much like this is the like the most important things for you to know about me at this point in my life, rather than these are the most important things for you to think about me at this time in my life, which is more Instagram vibe. Jesus, that's bars right there. I'm snapping my fingers at that. <laughs> that's fucking sick. I'm gonna get that on a t-shirt for sure. Um, okay. I want to discuss digital fashion because I think so many people like just assume that digital fashion is like AR fashion or lenses or whatever, like which that is a piece of it. But like I think about when I think about digital fashion, like fashion already is digital. Like you buy clothes online. Mm -hmm. Like what is that other than like that's like buying a fucking NFT, except for you, you buy the image of the the garment that you're buying and then it shows up at your doorstep or like even down to like outfits of the day like OOTD or get ready with me like that's digital fashion like everything about fashion is already digital so like to somebody who is having a hard time getting over that hump or like who still from what I just said isn't convinced that like digital fashion already exists and we're just you in particular and restless in the work that you do like just continues to explore and and help promote like a new evolution of digital fashion like how would you get people on board or have help people to understand like what it is that restless is creating like what you yourself have worked for you know, a decade to do to build in a in a world that is moving much more into digital than the real life. I think it's like it's exactly what you said. Like we've been dealing with digital fashion for a, a, like since the age of Web two social media. Like, okay, have you ever thought about how you present like, your visual identity online? Then you have participated in in digital fashion, like from curating your MySpace to having a Tumblr to using a snap filter, like all of these things, like you are already participating in digital fashion. The best use case for digital fashion in Web3 is a PFPs, because that's where you're saying everything about yourself in the one spot where you can have an image that everybody looks at, um, which is like, okay, this shows like when I entered the space, like how much of, you know, it, it shows a certain flex, it shows a certain like, community allegiance like here are all the things it shows which is exactly what fashion is about like fashion isn't clothes um it's it's much more about you know identity in the context of culture 100 percent, yeah everything like even in the real world like you're thinking real world like the physical world like which is also seen in like web 3 the metaverse again for lack of a better word let's just say the internet like in this new age of the internet is like, you know, how you dress, how you present yourself shows 
how much money you have, like how much money you're willing to spend on your on your representation, digital and otherwise. Like if you are buying, if you buy a Rolex or you buy a new Gucci bag or whatever and you post it on Instagram, on your stories, or on your Snapchat, like you already understand why like the the mental motive and desire to like purchase a, a crypto punk or a board ape or whatever and set that as your profile picture like it's very easy i think and the reason you're the reason you're posting it online is because a lot more people are gonna see it and give you validation for your flex than if you're walking around in the real world with it 100 percent. okay speaking of walking around in the real world with something um you just got married recently i did the same, the same marriage, but like the second wedding for the same <laughs> yes, person. Because it was the first one was a COVID <laughs> wedding. Um, does your husband work for you? No. No. Okay. Because I want to talk about like you're building a company. At the same time, you're like you've built a marriage, like building a relationship. Like there is an, a considerable amount of diligence that is required for both diligence and dedication and like discipline, all the fucking D's that are required for both things. This is my, as you know, like as you've listened, my podcast is starting to turn into a bit of like a relationship for professionals podcast, like podcast relationship podcast for professionals. Like how, what has been like, what have been your challenges, your struggles, like as a couple, as individuals, like in, as you are in like a massively important and demanding part of your career and a part of your brand, your empire building, like that empire that you have visualized and wanted since you were 12 years old and also finding love, having love, committing yourself in matrimonial love and needing to work on that too. Like what is, tell us, tell us about that experience, like how you got there, how you maintain it. What are the challenges, all of that, everything? Well, I think, you know, the only way it can work is that he's a tech founder as well and gets it. Like we have a lot of like the same experience that we're dealing with. Um, I think where that also makes it difficult is that, you know, we're never like, aligned at the stages that we're at in our different companies so like you know like one of us is having like an absolute fucking shit time whilst the other one's having a a better time like there's so much fluctuation so there's like first of all I guess there's the um there's the comparison piece of like okay how to not use my partner's success to beat myself up about my current lack of success or vice versa um and then the biggest issue is the like the prioritization because it is so completely immersive, all consuming to be the founder of a startup. Um, you completely live and breathe it. Um, so trying to make enough space for a healthy relationship is is really difficult. Um, it's such a like proactive conscious level of work that you need to be thinking about all the time um and you also need to have a lot of compassion for your partner who's in that position to like to not take it to heart when they're like deep in sorting some shit out for their business it's like you you have to 
I guess get used to this fluctuation of priorities, but you also need to make sure that there are enough points where you are prioritizing the relationship. Like it, there needs to be some kind of balance and it's really fucking hard to find balance when you're building an empire. A hundred percent. I was listening to a podcast today with um, Dan Savage and Esther Perel, who are like obviously two of the top like love and sex and relationship experts in the fucking world. <laughs> like, I'm just like, if I could just have one hour of y'all's time, I know I could fix so much about myself. <laughs> like I would be, everything, everything would be perfect. But they were saying like, they were acknowledging similarly like challenges in relationships and priorities. And they said that like, there is no way, like when it comes to challenges, especially like the ones that you're describing, like, somebody has to deprioritize something of themselves like somewhere something has to be deprioritized like not everything it can be the priority because if everything is important and everything is urgent then like nothing is important and nothing is urgent and i think like that when it comes to like this empire especially like you're talking like i said decades worth of work it must be like really difficult for both of you on both sides to like have to choose like to deprioritize one of your own, you know, action items or one of your own needs in order to, you know, meet that other person at their and, and prioritize that other person's action item and their needs. Like what is what's your advice to people who are in that similar situation maybe myself maybe others like how do you <laughs> maybe <laughs> like how what is your advice to people who need to you know who need to hear that they cannot always be the priority like they have to make space to allow the other person to be the priority or allow the other person's needs to take priority and without feeling like they're going to lose something, lose a part of themselves, lose progress on their business, you know, lose a piece of their empire. I think like what is, and it's like, it's my personality type. Um, so it's not going to work for everyone, but what has been most helpful for me is literally like scheduling time for like, to make sure that there is, um, like a lot of communication it's like okay we need to have like other than time that we're going to be spending just being together we need to have a time at least each week where we are having a proper conversation about the relationship raising any issues figuring out what we need to work on um that's something that is very um i guess you know something that creates space for vulnerability um you know it's kind of like shit to have something sprung on you when you're like you're either in the middle of something else or you're not ready for it um it can lead to like a lot of misunderstanding conflict whatever so having this like safeguarded time in your week um to be like okay this is where we like really get down to what's been like what's been going on for each other this week is really important um and then aside from that like figuring out um even if it's just once a week, like we're going to have this very active time together. Like we're not going to be, you know, we're not just like watching something together or whatever else. Like we're going to like actively be doing and experiencing this thing together. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's so important. Like even just in my own household and experience, like sometimes it can just 
sometimes it is enough to just like go to the grocery store together and like be like actively do that thing and think about like, okay, what are we gonna like, what are we picking out? Like, what are we cooking this week? Like it kind of creates when you're buying groceries, like you're buying something that has like a certain amount of longevity. So it's like some, it's inevitably going to spoil or go bad. So it's like, if you can frame like your relationship within like the, like the timeline and the date of like when the when the milk is going to go bad when that bread is going to be done and you're like if we can if this is our moment and we can just like find ways to check in throughout the like just even if it's baseline like through the duration of between now and this milk spoiling then i know that like once this milk spoils we need to like have another moment of like us and just time together <laughs> that's that's where that's our <laughs> that's my current strategy <laughs> okay um this has been amazing i in order to deprioritize my wants and needs which is to just talk to you forever and ever and to prioritize your needs and your empire i won't keep you much longer but just let me know, let everybody know where do they find you? Where can they find information about Restless? You know, how to keep up with you, how to learn more about your story and, and your empire. Um, so like best place is at Charlie Cohen on Twitter or Instagram. Um, that has everything, all the like links through to what we're doing on Restless. Um, yeah, it's like a Twitter especially is the best bet because then you also get the benefit of my prolific shit posting. So good. And the memeing and the Pomeranian. I was going to, you have more than just one Pomeranian, right? Do you have multiple? Yeah, we have, we have a multi-poo. We have a multi-poo as well, um, who I'm feeling a little bit, a little bit sad that she didn't get a shout out at the beginning of the episode, but you know, <laughs> Well, can know. I tell you, I wrote, <laughs> when I wrote the bio, I was like, she has a Pomeranian and I think another dog that I don't care as much about. <laughs> I was like, just take that out. But um, people need to understand it's because I'm going to send the clip to my video editor so he can put in like, the, I'm a hypersexual person. And I just feel re I just relate to this dog on levels that are most comfortable at watch. I think it's actually fucking beautiful. And it is something that where I just felt like me and this dog have we're twin flames we have like a soul connection like I just get it so I had to shout I had to shout the dog out also is your um Pomeranian is the has like become a standard of visual printing like fucking I don't even know how to describe it like standard for eGhost, is that how you say it? eGhost Gallery, which we both go to and get our, oh, yeah. like, yeah. Andy was like, this is, he's like, look at, I have, un I have unlocked this like new printing standard. And my subject to test it was Charlie's Pomeranian. <laughs> like, I was just like, oh my God, that's art. She is very culturally important, don't get me wrong, but I feel like Juno, who is a sweet baby angel, should also get a shout out. Juno, I'm sorry, we do love you. Um, you just need to step up your social presence and <laughs> digital identity. Juno needs a viral moment, mummy. Juno needs a viral moment. Okay, well, I love you. Thank you so much. 
This is the best. You're amazing. I love you too. It's been so good. So fun. This has been another devastatingly iconic episode of the Carson Daily Show. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Carson Daily and follow the show's dedicated Instagram at Carson Daily Show. And follow this podcast channel so you get new episode notifications. Please rate me five stars also so I can brag to my producers. And remember, you can't go a week in crypto without me. The Carson Daily Show is a Decentral Media production written by me and my better comedic half, James Carr, with music by Woody. See you next Tuesday. Bye.